Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to John 4. I want to look at a, a, a particular aspect here. We want to talk about bringing God joy. Can you do that? Can we actually bring joy to him? We're in Samaria. Jesus has gone down to Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, if you recall, of the, all of the sellers of oxen and sheep and, and doves, caused quite a tr- consternation. The religious leaders want to kill him. He's already in trouble. They're trying to figure out what to do with him. He got out of the city, but began ministering for apparently eight months or so uh, there in the Judean area. So that means the areas around Jerusalem. It's southern Israel. Uh, He was there ministering uh, probably from town to town, village to village for about eight months. Um, His disciples were baptizing, but he, he was not, if you recall, John tells us this. But he was preaching and ministering, healing, and doing all of those wonderful things. And it says that the word got to him that the Pharisees knew what, where he was and what he was doing. And, and that he had more disciples now than John the Baptist, who they're, they're just about to have arrange with Herod to arrest. And then Herod will put him in a dungeon and cut his head off. It's a very dangerous moment. The report that comes is to Jesus, they know where you are and they know what you're doing. And they know you are having a greater influence than John, who they hated. And so the word is basically a, a warning. You're in trouble. It isn't time for him to be arrested. It isn't time for him. He's, not, he's no coward. Boy, if anybody in the world has ever shown he's no coward, it's Jesus. But it isn't time. He has much more to do. Much more training for his disciples. Much more, much more people to be saved and healed and and uh, delivered of their demons. Uh, we have, there's a whole assignment still to fulfill. So it says, John will say he, it was necessary. He, ha- he had to leave and he, he left there and went from Judea straight through Samaria. Samaria lies between Judea and Galilee. Galilee's in the north, Samaria's in the middle, and Judea is in the south. He went straight through Samaria. Often pious Jews would travel around. You could go to the east or to the west. You could go around Samaria and uh, not come in contact with basically what the Jews thought of as Gentiles. They're sort of quasi-Jews, these Samaritans. They, they believe in the five books of Moses, and they had their own temple there on Mount Gerizim. And so it's kind of a competitive religion. They're mixed race, uh, and uh, that was not a good thing in the eyes of the Jews. And so they would walk around Samaria often. Jesus clearly has no problem with, with Samaritans. He, I mean, in fact, he honors them every time he turns around. It's the Samar- good Samaritan who does this and that. I mean, in many of his parables, the Samaritan is the kind one. So he, he does not have a problem. But in this case, John is telling us this because Jesus has to flee, I think. I actually think this is a, this is a uh, uh, he has to get out of Ju- Judea and get north uh, away from the grip of the, of the religious uh, controlling people there in Jerusalem. And so on the way, he comes to a, a well there by what is, they call Sychar in here. 
uh, it's Nablus today. It's right between two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And those two mountains, if you recall, in the Old Testament are where Israel held a great covenant renewal ceremony. You know, half the tribes were spread up one mountain. Picture this. I mean, you have what, a, a million people, 700,000 people on one mountain, another 700,000 million people on the other mountain. What a, what a moment, huh? Do you think they did the wave? You know, uh, uh, so they wouldn't have that been something to see. And then they set up an altar on Mount Ebal, which was the mount for the curses. It's a, a, a 12 stone pile, you know, the whole thing, uncut stones. And then, and then uh, Joshua plastered it and put the curses on one side and the blessings on the other. And then the whole thing, this entire gathering of people, uh, Mount Gerizim said the blessings. And so when it came to the Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is where those blessings are all recorded, you would have had maybe a million people all reciting this at once. Is that a, what a moment, huh? And then, and then you, had, you had on Mount Ebal, you had, you had uh, probably a million people reciting all the curses. And what is Israel saying? May we be cursed if we break this covenant. May we be blessed, O oh God, if we obey it. And so the whole nation re reaffirmed their covenants. First thing they did when they came in the land, they conquered Ai, came right up to Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, and had this covenant renewal ceremony there. So it's, it, it, it has a, it quite a memory. And so the Samaritans said, this is the holy site. This is the place God should be worshipped, right here where this took place. And uh, so that's the religious background. Jesus comes north and he's, he's sitting by this well. It's either noon or first thing in the morning. I don't know which, which time they use. And he's, a woman comes out and she's got a bucket and a rope. The well I told you last week is like 100, 135 feet deep, depending on the water table. And, and uh, so she comes out with this rope and Jesus says, give me a drink. Her response is, I know what you Jews think of us Samaritans. You won't even drink from the same cup. You won't, you won't even touch the same utensils. You don't want to even shake our hands if you can help it. And so she says, why would you ask me a Samaritan for a drink? You, you, you don't want to touch our nasty old pail, do you? Uh, I think that's probably in there. If, if I were a Samaritan, wouldn't you feel like that? And so he, he, and then he says to her, he said, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, and, 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 and if you knew the promises, you would ask him for a drink and he would have given you living water. Remember this? He would have given you living water. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. If you knew who it was who's talking to you, the Messiah. And what the scriptures say he brings, the fullness of the Spirit. Lady, you would have asked and he would have filled you with the Holy Spirit. She says, the well is deep and you have no rope, you know, no bucket. Uh, uh, where, where do you have this water? Do you have some hidden water, magic water? And then he says, he says, the water that I give to you will f flow up from within you. And it'll be like a fountain, an artesian well springing up to eternal life. She says, sir, give me this water. Father God, would you open the word to us today? That as we continue to hear you, the dialogue of your beloved son with this woman, that we will sit there by the well with them, that we will listen and be fed. You will teach us. Jesus, right, we sit right beside her. We open our ears. You're our master. You're our Messiah. 
And we want this living water. And we want to worship you in spirit and truth. Come upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll start there at verse, chapter four, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And then she asks a question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. This would be Mount Gerizim. She's, she's pointing to it. It's right there, the wells nearby. And you say in, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is. Would you say and now is? Yeah, notice he says this hour is coming. So he's pointing to something prophetic. He's pointing to a prophetic promise of what was to come. And he says, and it now is. Why is it now? Why is it now? Because the Messiah has come. Because he's here. An hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Would you say in spirit and truth? For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Do you see that? For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It is so easy to stand there praying, saying all the right things with my mind still asleep or focused on something else. I can be halfway through the Lord's Prayer and suddenly realize I haven't a clue what I just said. And I'm saying things with no particular awareness that God is listening to me. I'm just reciting words that I've memorized. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, I, I have a, I prayed, you know, in the mornings, I have my, my morning time with the Lord, I you know, I read till I, till I, my spirit sort of wakes up at least, and uh, I've got some kind of thing, and then I'll, I'll talk to the Lord, and somewhere in the course of it, I just, I find, I, I love the Lord's Prayer, and not just to recite, but I use it uh, as, as, as clear categories, because they are, there's a whole assignment, this, in other words, Jesus, when they said, teach us to pray, and he said, well, I right, pray this way, and he gives us the sort of things that ought to be included in our prayers, uh, and, and, and so I use that, and I love that, but I find I could be standing there saying this Lord's Prayer, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I may be our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and I go, oh, it's, it's garbage day, <laughs> oh, man. And then I've, I'm at my office, so I've got a window there, and I'm thinking, does, does the neighbor kid have his car in the, in the cul-de-sac again? Because the garbage truck won't come in if he has it there. <laughs> How many times do I have to knock on his door? Uh, uh, thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be done, <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. I, I got to remember to get that 
that old turkey carcass that's out there, you know, we put in the other can. Um, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Um, I can't think of anything I've ever done wrong. Um, have to work at that a little bit. As we forgive those who are dead against us. Ah, now I've got some thoughts. Uh, is, is this relate? Yeah. It, it, I, I'm a nice man. I, I, I mean, but that's where I will go if I don't, if I don't somehow stop myself and, and say, wait a minute, wake up. And I'm having to wake my spirit up. And I'm having to be aware that I'm not praying to the wall or somebody off, you know, third star to the left and straight on till morning. He's, he's not out there going, huh? He's, he's right in the room with me. Amen. That he's there. And so while I'm going through all of this, he's sort of standing there waiting for me to talk to him. To actually wake my spirit up. This is where Jesus is going with this. He's, he's telling us that those, given what I'm bringing you, and he's talked about the living water, the fullness of the spirit. You will now worship God wherever you are. For he will be with you. He will be with you. And you will talk to him. And you will commune with him. It's, you'll worship him in spirit and truth. We're going to look at what that means. But he's, but he's waking us up to the presence of the Lord. I, I, I'm reciting words I've memorized. They're good words if you actually stop to think about them. But until I wake up inside, until I become conscious of the one to whom I was supposedly talking, it's just a morning ritual that I can do so I can check it off my list. But if I stop and wake up my spirit, if I become aware of God and sense that he is with me in that room, if I wake up my mind and really think about what I'm saying, those same words will guide me into one important exchange after another. A conversation will take place between my spirit and him. I know that when that change takes place inside me, I can certainly tell the difference. When I, I can feel it, when I, when I make that focus, I know I'm awake. I can sense it. And what Jesus teaches us today is that God can too. And that when that happens, I bring him great joy. Jesus said he actually searches for, that's the words that tell, searches for people who will worship him this way. Picture that. It's almost pathetic. The great God who created the universe is looking over the world for people who are actually worshiping him. Not simply going through some religious recitation. He's looking for those who will fellowship with him and talk to him. He's, he, he's that kind of God. Resting beside Jacob's well, Jesus explained to a Samaritan woman what it means to truly worship God. Let's listen. One of the main points John the Baptist regularly proclaimed about the coming Messiah was that he would bring with him the promised baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Messiah arrived, believers would no longer be spiritually thirsty for God. We would be immersed into and filled up with his glorious presence. 
For centuries, the prophets had been promising a day that would would come when people would enjoy unlimited access to God himself, which is the greatest delight any human can experience. The quenching of this thirst for God was what Jesus was offering to this woman and through her example to all who would believe in him. Later on, the Apostle John will explain that the water Jesus was talking about is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which did not arrive until after he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. People began to receive this new baptism at the day of Pentecost, and then from that time forward, it has been available to all who believe, including children. The woman asked Jesus to give her this gift. But as we learned earlier, when we listened to Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus, in order to receive the Spirit in this way, she needed to be born from above. Remember? For that to happen, she must first be born of water and then born of the Spirit. As we saw earlier, the term born of water means to embrace the same attitudes that Jesus expressed when he was baptized in the Jordan River. I really think when he talks about this whole born from above and the born of water, born of the spirit, he is reflecting on what happened to him at the Jordan River. In other words, we are to follow Jesus. And so when he stood at the, in the water there and had John baptize him, recall, he has no sins to confess. This is not him washing his sins away. What was he doing in the Jordan River? Why did he want to be baptized? For him, it was a burial. He, and, and, and for Christian baptism from then on, by the way, Paul, you'll see it in Acts, the Christian church understood, and they learned it from their master, they understood that this baptism now was a dying. It was a dying with Christ and a rising with him. No longer just a washing away of our sins. No longer just a symbolic thing. That, we do that. I mean, that's part of it. But it's not even the deepest part. The deepest part for us is to follow Jesus in, in a full surrender. When Jesus was baptized, when he lay himself down in that water and said, John, baptize me. He was saying, John, I know where I, this will go. If I follow the Father's will, if I submit to the ministry that's called upon me, I will die. I will die a horrible death, quite frankly. I will have all of these things that Isaiah and the Psalms have spoken of. All of that's going to be done to me. I'm the Passover lamb. I, I, I know where this leads. And then he's saying to the Father as he stood there, Father, I, I accept the cross. I accept the horror that lies ahead. If this is your path, then I embrace it. Baptize me. Boom, down he goes. Up he comes, declaring his resurrection, which is also there. We follow him in baptism. I want to say this, because what, what, what is the American gospel? The American gospel has come down to admit you're a sinner, tell God you're sorry, and go on with it. Put the past in the past. Do you see how, how much that misses this point? Yeah, we haven't got anywhere close to a surrender or embracing a cross. And yet when you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus over and over say things like, if any man's going to come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross. In other words, we've got to do it too. And follow me. I think he meant it. I mean, how's that for a radical statement? I actually think he meant it. I do think that's, that's essential to the new birth, to the being born from above. It is essential that we come to him and surrender all and say, Jesus, I love you. I'm your disciple from this day forward. 
I follow you in your, in your full will. I live for you. Now, I've got family to raise. I've got jobs. I've got all of these kinds of things. But they aren't competitive with that. The heart of, the, of this person is that I love you with all my heart. And whatever I do, I do with you and following you. You hear that? That foundation, what is, what, and may I point out that when Jesus did that, I don't think he even had to, he didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. It says heaven's opened and the Spirit simply descended in power on him. And he was, he the man, not the divine son, but the man Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit right there in the river. That's what that was. And so he was born of water and he was born of the Spirit. And you and I must also be born of water and born of the Spirit. This whole thing isn't some kind of theological debate. It's foundational. It is what he brought for the new era. To that person, we will be filled with rivers of living water. We have within us living water that rises up like a fountain within us. Now our worship life changes dramatically. Our entire communion with God changes dramatically. Isn't this fun? I mean, it's just when you, when you see what he's doing. See, Jesus, you see how far the Christian church has fallen over history? He just said, you won't worship in this mountain or this, and we're going to get to this, you know, buildings and all this religious stuff, and look what the Christian church has done. Massive cathedrals, uh, all kinds of religious trappings of every form. We have so violated what he came to bring. It's, it's amazing he stuck with us. <laughs> we have ignored him and just reinvented religion exponentially. And now we're trying to dig our way back out and find the power and find the Lord and find the transformative life because it hasn't been transforming people to the point that we have left a horrible legacy and a terrible reputation. And we're having to, to back our way out of that and somehow say, no, no, the real, Jesus is real. Please don't look at that. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. He, he, the, he, Jesus is real. Not, not, don't look at all of the history of the garbage. We're so sorry for that. As we saw earlier, the term born of water means to embrace the same attitudes that Jesus expressed when he was baptized in the Jordan River. This means we will not only repent for past sins, but fully surrender to God's will for our lives, even to the point of death. For that to happen in this woman's life, now notice, let's go back to that, that we're there at the well. For that new birth, as it were, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, water and spirit to happen in this woman's life, she would need to surrender her dysfunctional relationship with men. To expose this troubled area of her heart, Jesus simply said, go call your husband and come here. In this way, he focused his, her attention on the place where her healing must begin. Her reply was intentionally deceptive. She tried to mislead him by telling him only part of the truth. She answered, I have no husband, which at that moment in time was indeed true. But she planned to hide from him the fact she had previously been married five times. And at present was living with a man to whom she was not married. However, she soon discovered she was dealing with someone who possessed supernatural knowledge. Jesus said to her, you spoke accurately when you said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And now he whom you have is not your husband. What you said is true. She said to him, sir, I observe you are a prophet. He's not being cruel. What is he doing? You want this water, lady? 
Let's start at the deepest place. You've been looking for fulfillment and peace in men. That has to die. Will you follow me? Verse 20 and 22. Having recognized that Jesus was a prophet, the woman suddenly asked him where she should worship God. She said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where it is necessary to worship. In other words, she asked him, with a Samaritan's right or the Jews, did God want to be worshiped on Mount Gerizim or on Mount Zion? We have no way of knowing whether or not this was a sincere question or merely a way to change the subject after having her troubled past exposed. But judging from the serious answer he gave her, Jesus seems to indicate that this was a spiritual, this spiritual question was genuinely important to her. I think if, he, if she was just trying a divergent move saying, you know, let's talk theology, I, I think he would have said, no, let's come back to the subject. But he didn't. He took her question as a genuine question, and I think, I think it was. So she was really looking for God. So he said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, you plural, you believing Samaritans, worship the Father. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews worship what we know. Because salvation is from out of the Jews. How is it out of the Jews? Messiah has come from Israel. The Savior is from out of the Jews. And the, basically he told her that the way she was thinking about God was entirely wrong. The era of physical temples was nearly over. And the things her Samaritan faith had taught her were filled with ignorance and confusion. He said it is the revelations recorded in the Bible that are the truth. Can you say amen to that? You know, the world changes all kinds of opinions. That's why we come back to this. Salvation is from the Jews and from the, the, the this has been the, the record of God's dealing with the human race. Verses 23 and 24. And then he gave this woman an explanation about the nature of worship, which is one of the most important statements in the entire Bible. He said, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For indeed, the Father searches for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary for the ones who worship him to worship in spirit and truth. When Messiah comes, what Jesus taught this woman about worship has always been true. God has always been spirit. And to genuinely worship him, a person had to do so in spirit and truth. But Jesus is also saying that he would dramatically change the way people worshiped in the future. By bringing the living water, which he has, has just promised her, a person's capacity for true worship would expand exponentially. The level of communi communication with God that had been achieved by a few for brief seasons in the past, would become universally available to all of God's people all of the time. Look, we see the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. 
you see relationship in the spirit in the Old Testament. Moses, for example, had, had a remarkable season uh, of, of relationship with God uh, to the point that he'd have where his skin would shine. Uh, the, the cloud of glory would come. He'd go over a little tent out on, the, out on the, the borders of the camp and that cloud would come and stand by the door as he would go inside and get on his face and talk with God and Joshua would lie on his face beside him somewhere. I mean, Moses knew the Lord. He spoke to him. Abraham knew the Lord. I mean, so you've got, a, you've got Elijah and Elisha. You've got Elisha lying on a, on a, on a dead boy. whose boy's been dead for an hour and a half. I mean, I, I calculated the distance it would take to run and even tell him. The, the, the boy's been dead that long. He lies on him and prays for him. And, the, and, and this boy comes back to life, for heaven's sakes. I mean, that's power. We're not looking at, 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 at there's no power. But it came in individuals, and it came for seasons, moments, situations. It was not what the new thing that Jesus had come to bring. And this was not a new concept. Many times through the prophets, God had said people would experience a new depth of relationship with him when the Messiah arrived. It was nothing less than this highest perp- his, his highest purpose for creating humans in the first place. God created us for fellowship. He didn't need us to clean the planet. In fact, we've made a mess. We have not helped. This was not God's little helpers. He made us in his image. So we could love him and talk to him and be with him. That was the original intention for us in the very first place. And so when Messiah comes, he's not bringing some just radical new thought. He's restoring what was supposed to be all along. You follow? And it's prophesied all through the Old Testament. Jesus is not, this is not brand new information. It's his way of saying what Jeremiah said, what Ezekiel said, what Moses talked about. It's, it's his, he's now saying, it's here. It's here. I'm here, it's here. The new has begun. Jeremiah described the new season this way. Why don't you read that with me? They shall not teach again each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Notice who, who knows the Lord now in this new seat. Everyone's forgiven. No one has a record of wrongs being kept. God continues to wash and forgive. And it says, they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Who's the least? Well, could it be the youngest to the oldest? Can it be the most broken to the most wholesome? Can it be the least, least taught? In other words, somebody's a, 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 an hour old as a Christian. They know the Lord too. Somebody's known him for 50 years. Neither one can say you don't know the Lord. You follow this? For they will all know me. Why? For I will come and fill them and live within them. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Jeremiah said every person in this new covenant would know the truth. 
about God and have a genuine relationship with him. Notice no one has to teach another. Say, know him. Well, no, yeah, thank you. No one has to say that. Dumb, but that's exactly right. Sorry, forgive me, I misled you. No one would be left out. No one would have more potential for relationship than another. And Jesus said, because he had come, that this promise was available. He said, the hour that was coming now is. Do you see that? True worshipers. Jesus specifically mentioned three elements that will be part of our thinking if our worship is to be genuine. He said, number one, true worshipers know they can worship God anywhere, anytime. Remember, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will men worship. Their spiritual life will not be focused on a place, a building, a ritual, a priesthood, an object, or certain days. When we go to Israel, uh, and I'm, we're preparing the team, I, I always say this, let's get something straight. We're not going to Israel to visit Jesus. He's here as much as he's there. You follow that? There's actually a phenomenon. It's called the Jerusalem phenomenon. And some people go and they just, and they absolutely trip out. I mean, just something clicks or breaks or snaps in the brain. Uh, people will think they're, they're one of the two prophets, you know, in the end times. Uh, uh, they, 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 and and I've, I've, had, I've had various kinds of breakdowns on, on trips. I've had one fellow leave the entire faith. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I, I won't. He renounced Christ, and anyway, um, became a Jew. Uh, it really makes me nervous almost to take people. I've had people go into some strange things afterwards. And the idea is that as though God lives there. He does. And he lives here in Federal Way and wherever you live. And not one place more than another. He is present everywhere. And so Jesus says the day will come and now is. And, 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 and so now that I've arrived, and as I bring to you this fullness of the Spirit, no longer are there for you holy places, holy sites, and all of this kind of thing. For some reason, people love objects. They love to focus their faith on objects. They, they, they like to talk to objects. They like to, to, to touch objects. They, they're trying to get vibrations uh, from, from those objects. They are. This is bottom line what it is. And, and for some reason, rocks are big in this. And uh, every one of these religions, you go to Israel, you'll, you'll see it there. I mean, it's, it's here, but I'm going to just pick on Israel. Uh, you've got Islam. The, the, the third holiest site there is located right there on the Temple Mount, and it's called the, the Dome of the Rock. Yes. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's uh, uh, an, uh, an outcropping. Actually, in 1970, when Mary and I were there, we saw it. I've been in there. And it's an outcropping of kind of reddish, uh, you know, that deep foundation stone. It's been, it's been carved. Some strange things have sort of been carved into it. It's obviously an ancient holy site. And um, the thought is, that it may well be, where, where Abraham um, nearly sacrificed Isaac. Remember that? Uh, 
you know, so that, that, that becomes, uh, it's, the, it's this, this rock, this holy site. And so we are there with, with that rock. Right nearby is the Western Wall. Now, Western Wall is the foundation, part of the foundation stones of the, of the platform wall that, that, that uh, Herod had built, Herod the Great. Uh, I told you it was like 36 acres, this, this huge platform that he, he constructed to bring it all up and make this big flat area for the temple. Uh, the temple stones all came down when the Romans, just as Jesus said it would. Not one stone was left. He wasn't kidding. And every stone came down. Uh, but there are some of the foundation walls of this outer platform that are still there. And so that has become the, the, the holiest site for, for Israel. And the people come there and they pray and people are touching the wall. And, because the idea is that God once lived on the other side of this. That he, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but that's the idea. The temple was there, the Shekinah was there, God lived here. And, and so I want to pray here and I want to touch this. And I, I, want to get as, I want to get close to God. Let's not leave the Christians out of this. If you, if you go just a little, little distance from there, you just walk a few minutes, and you can be at the, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And, and this is the place uh, where, the, you know, uh, some people think, I, I don't, that Jesus was buried. And, uh, and so you have there, in the, you come in, and the first thing you see is this flat stone. And the idea was that that's where they laid the dead body of Jesus, on this flat stone. Well, people are constantly kneeling there and kissing that stone and uh, washing it and touching it and laying on it. And, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to get spiritual vibrations. They're trying to get energy. That if Jesus once laid there, there may still be spiritual energy resident in that rock. Forgive me. This, let's analyze this. This is what's going on. I want to get that energy. I want to be close to him, so I want to, I'm touching a rock he once touched. And... Um, and then they've got the, the, the sepulcher itself and we're, we're, we're kissing and we're touching and we're lighting candles and we're, we're going through all of this trying to get near. Jesus says, not in Jerusalem, not here, will you worship? You, God is spirit and you will worship in spirit and in truth. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but do you see the difference? Are you seeing what he's going after? You'll notice when you come to Northwest Church, you don't see many crosses around the buildings. In fact, you don't see religious symbols around here at all to speak of. We have a, a beautiful cross we put in our chapel. Our chapel is a traditional chapel. It's meant to be. We've got pews. We've got flags. We've we got the whole thing. We've got piano. It's, a, it's just a traditional chapel for funerals and weddings and worship service. We love that place. And it's got a great, big, beautiful cross that we put there. But we don't have crosses all over. And, and I have had uh, people come and say to me, Pastor, don't you believe in the cross? And I said, well, I, I do. I do. And they said, then why don't you have crosses? Where's, where's the cross? Are you ashamed of it? I said, no, I preach it. Uh, here's the deal with crosses, with crucifixes, with those kinds of things. We tend, all of us, to fixate on it. We start talking to the object we start thinking that is a point of, of sort of energy. It is not. It is not. No rituals, no places, no objects. God is a person, not an energy field. 
He is here. He is here. He is with us. He, in fact, has a place that he has chosen to dwell in us, with us, everywhere we go. That, it's hard to get rid of those kinds of superstitious thinking, and it creeps back in. There's a tendency right now in a lot of the church to go back into, you know, ritual observances from the Old Testament and everything else, trying to somehow get energy, get close, get, do, it right, do it right so he's okay. It's not the point. Number two, true worshipers will worship in spirit. They know that God is a person, not a concept or an impersonal force. So they regularly seek to awaken their spirit to his presence throughout the day. Most of their prayers are honest, heartfelt conversations with God or spirit-led intercession and spiritual warfare. They actively listen as much as they talk. This is why it's so important for you and I to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to awaken that spiritual thing. Not just go to church, sit there, listen to the stuff and go home. You've got to begin to enter into this life. And it isn't just for some people and not for others. It is, it is for all who belong to Christ. And you in your own way will actually have this kind of dynamic. It will be as real for you. You'll, do, you'll, you'll have your relationship with him. It'll be your way, but it'll be real and it'll be living. With a person. He wants to know a person. Number three. True worshipers will also worship in truth. Religious confusion and deception have stopped because the Holy Spirit... Gives them revelation and discernment. You now have within you the spirit of truth. And, and here's, look at this quote from uh, 1 John. The anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things. And is true. And is not a lie. God will come into us and give us discernment. He'll, he'll, he'll give us that awareness of right and wrong. He will teach us from within. It doesn't mean we can't have Bible studies. It mean you can't come to church and we have a, have a, a sermon. But it, but, it, but it means that I'm finally responsible. And I'm, I'm empowered. If I will seek humbly and sincerely the truth of the Lord, he'll show it to me. And he'll show it to you. He'll show it to you. You have been empowered to know the truth. The spirit of truth dwells within you. We will rightly understand the scriptures because the Holy Spirit will teach us. And we will understand that we can boldly come to the Father through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will constantly remind you of who you are in Christ and what he has done and that the Father welcomes you into his presence. Bringing God joy. Jesus said God searches for people who will worship him this way. Because he is an actual person with intellect, and will, and emotions. All other kinds of worship must be for him lonely, one-sided experiences in which he can only observe an outward behavior and listen to words that aren't really directed to him. Can you imagine what it's like for God when I'm praying and thinking about it being garbage day? So I'm sitting there, our Father who art in heaven, and, and he's, 
but my mind is a million miles away. I'm not talking to him at all. He's just standing there waiting for me. Steve, Steve, I'm here. Talk to me. No, no, not the garbage man. Not the neighbor boy. Leave him alone. Pray for him. Stop it. Stop it. Come back. Come back. Steve, come back to me. He's trying to get me to talk to him, isn't he? You, you see what I'm saying? I, I, I'm saying this in many ways I know how. This is what he's talking about. Those who worship him will worship him in spirit. Their spirit will wake up and talk to him. He's there. And in truth. They will have the truth of God and the truth about it. None of this deception and confusion and all of this religious garbage. It'll be out of there. You'll know the real one and you'll talk to him wherever you go. And he'd like us, he wants us to realize that he's there. He wants us to talk to him, not at him. And then he wants us to listen to what he says to us. And he'd like us to remember that because we're his children, he's with us throughout the day. So we can draw close to him and worship wherever we are. For us, worship must be a lifestyle, not an event. The Holy Spirit is teaching us to spend our day with God. Paul will call this walking in the Spirit, won't he? In other words, just spending the day. The older I get, the more I'm so weary of my own decisions. I'm weary, I'm weary of what happens to me when I'm away from him. I don't like who I am when I'm, when I'm not, not close to him. Do you? You don't like who I am when I'm not close to you. <laughs> And you don't either, and neither do I. So what? Out of just sheer weariness of my flesh, I just want to spend the day with him. I just want to talk to him. I want to be aware of him. I awaken myself to him. We're learning to awaken our spirit and become aware that he is always with us and that he wants relationship, not religion. And we're discovering how important it is to let him teach us about himself from the scriptures. We choose to refuse pride and stay humble before him. So we know the truth about him and draw closer and closer. Nothing else is really worship. At least not worship that he enjoys. Would you stand with me? An hour is coming. And now is. When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will men worship. For God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He was leading this woman into the, not simply a little bit of religious exposure. He was leading her to the new birth to the being born from above, to the transformation, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and to teaching her how to be a worshiping person, full of God. May I point out, he stayed in Samaria for two more days because the whole city came to listen to him. May I point out that within two years, Philip the evangelist would come right on back and would, would be healing and doing miracles and preaching Christ and getting people saved by the droves in that place. May I point out that Peter 
And John came down from Jerusalem and laid hands on them because Philip wasn't able to somehow. And got them baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Gave them everything Jesus promised. When he says, when he says, you can have this, he wasn't kidding. And don't we know that woman was there? That woman was there. That woman, very likely, with her history, notice, became a leader in the church. He talked to her seriously. He took her completely seriously. You would have known she had a history. He said, let's talk about it. You need living water. You need, I'm going to teach you how to be a worshiper. I'm going to teach you the, the truth about, about the power of God and his presence everywhere. He talked to her seriously and was training her as a great woman of God. What a Lord we serve. Oh, Lord Jesus. We would follow. We, we sit there right by the same well. And we listen to you, Lord. Wherever we have allowed religion, objects, rituals to somehow muddy the water and distract us from the living presence of God and from a relationship with our heavenly father through our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us. We cast it aside and we would walk with you, Lord, daily. You, you are spirit and we will worship you in spirit and in truth, we will talk to you. We will listen to you. We will love you. For you search for people like that. And we would be people that delight you and bring joy to your heart and you to ours. Lord, we're coming back to what you originally intended, that we would walk with God. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Just do your deep work in each one of us. Waken us. We awaken to your presence. Just for a moment, church, just be aware of his presence. He is here. He's not out there watching. He is with us. He's with you. He's as close as the next breath, your heavenly father and your beloved savior. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That means to smile. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.